Welcome, everyone, to Politics Express, the Postwriters Politics Podcast. I'm your host, the Postwriters Politics Editor, Lars Emerson, and this week we're here to talk bills, 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 and the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. After what's been a lackluster legislative year, basically ever since the bipartisan infrastructure framework was passed last August, Congress finally snapped into action at the end of this summer and has delivered five major pieces of legislation in just a couple months' time span, perhaps renewing faith in the Democratic majority and in the legislative branch itself. And if that weren't enough news for one week, it was completely overshadowed by the fact that there was an FBI search of Donald Trump's de facto headquarters in Mar-a-Lago. So with me today to discuss these bills, how Democrats pulled it all off, the implications of this legislative agenda on the midterms and the political landscape, and then that FBI search is our editor-in-chief, Michael Levito. Hello. Sup, Mike? <laughs> not, well, I, I was going to say not much, but actually a lot. There's a lot yeah, going on. <laughs> I, I know. Like we, I messaged Mike this morning be like, okay, are we good for like the, the Bills episode? We're, we're ready to go. And he's like, yeah, but we got to talk about the FBI thing. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we, we probably should talk about that. That was kind of a big deal. Uh, so let's, I guess, let's start with that. Let's, let's talk about the biggest story from the past couple weeks. On August 8th, FBI agents executed a search warrant at the residence of former President Donald Trump in Mar-a-Lago, Florida. Uh, under investigation for the removal or destruction of government records, obstruction, and violation of the Espionage Act, FBI agents seized numerous documents. Well, needless to say, the search of the former president's house was like a big story, though it started really kind of weirdly. And like, I know that guy that did the initial tweet who was just like a Florida like kind of like politico reporter type this is he was, he like got a profile recently did you see that i, I did not see that um, and he was just like and you know his initial tweet is like i don't have the resources right. to find yeah. anything else out but this is happening yeah but you know this whole fbi search and all that it took a lot of coverage for what we'll spend uh the second part of this episode talking about the legislative agenda uh but i don't know what what's what's your initial read uh the former president you know getting served with a search warrant at his house. Well, we should probably first clarify that they didn't actually, we don't know for sure that they found documents relating to nuclear weapons, right? The report was that they were looking for that. Mm. Um, We don't know that that was actually there. And there actually is still a lot that we don't know. Well, we'll get to it later. But I guess my initial read is just, when it happened, it's so weird, right? Because there are definitely people, and we'll probably unpack this a little bit more later but it's like there's definitely a portion of people who are either republicans who like just in general or like really like donald trump who their impression is that democrats are just out to get trump by any means necessary mm. i don't entirely disagree with that um i just feel like there's just kind of like an air of criminality around him um but when this was happening my thought was just like like is, is this it basically right like is this gonna be the thing that ends donald trump as a um potential president i guess uh and we still don't know (laughs) yeah i I mean my initial read i don't know i feel like people like online i think i was on my on the phone with my mom when i actually saw the headline come in on my phone as you know there was this explosion all over twitter there's this kind of explosion in liberal circles um 
yeah, I, I think I messaged you like, oh, you know who I bet's really happy about this? Ron DeSantis. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, it, it, you know, people on the right, I think, say that this is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. But it is, like, unprecedented. Uh, whether it's unprecedented in a good way or a, uh, a necessary way or a bad way is, I suppose, up for debate, depending on how you feel about the former president. Um, there's just, I don't know. It's just a big, like, it's insane. This is crazy. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, so, that, so then, you know, this happens. We don't get a lot of details at first. Um, you know, the DOJ, the FBI, the Florida cops, they don't really say anything. I, like I, I feel like the first one to come out and say something is Trump. No, he you know, he reporters. We, I mean, yeah. Well, the reporter obviously there were the reporters, but the first like non-reporter to say anything about it was Donald Trump. Right. Um, which is, <laughs> you know, and that's been like a big Merrick like thing, like Garland thing, right? It's like you have to. I feel like kind of look at the way he has done what he's done so far and his general approach to running DOJ. Um, kind of through the lens of like what James Comey did to like towards the end of 2016 hmm. where he granted obviously different jobs. James Comey was head of the FBI, Merrick Garland was attorney general, but Comey, you know, made a comment about, uh, he made like an official statement about the investigation into what's his name? Anthony Weiner's emails hmm. that also meant, that they had emails in them from Hillary Clinton, which sparked a whole new round of speculation. Um, and that is kind of, in a way, the public reason, he, I mean, like, the official quote-unquote reason he was fired was that he was commenting on investigations, like, publicly. Right. It's one of the reasons why Trump gave for for, for firing him. Um, but, yeah, it was very strange because there was no official word. And that, that was kind of... There wasn't for a couple of days from the FBI. There was no outside of like yes we did this you know there was no statement from Merrick Garland I think like the raid happened did it happen on a Monday I believe I, th- I think so and then um yes there, August it, 8th yeah and then yes and Garland didn't comment on, on it until I believe that Thursday yeah I, I mean tr- Trump put out this statement I I don't even I don't even <laughs> remember it or have a lot of interesting things to say about it. But, you know, he goes, they even went through my safe, you know, as if <laughs> as if having a safe, you know, it's like um, precludes the FBI f- from using a warrant to go through it. It's like, oh, they, he, he knew about the warrant, the, the safe rule. Yeah, uh, I think I think John Oliver uh, made the joke or someone made the joke that it was like, well, legally, they can search the safe unless someone writes on the safe fbi not allowed right <laughs> yeah. yeah um and then so, I, so yeah you you had a lot of like trump people like a lot of trump aligned republicans who jumped out I, and there was like all this like they handed trump the nomination chatter going yeah. around uh and everyone was like i can't believe joe biden would do this you know uh, of course joe biden uh they've said had no idea which I'm inclined to believe that is my understanding of, of FBI policy, uh, mm-hmm. and especially how Merrick Garland behaves. Yeah, uh, we know now that uh, Attorney General Garland did personally approve the search warrant. Yes, um, even though there was a Newsweek story that said that he did not, and it was all Chris Ray 
who's the current head of the FBI. Newsweek, uh, kind of notoriously, one of their editors there is like a, a high-key Trump partisan. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you had like the Jim Jordans, the, the Matt Gateses of the world, the mm-hmm. Lauren Boeberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens out there with defund the FBI rhetoric yes. because they're not very clever. <laughs> yes. Well, and there was... <laughs> Many variations. Um, her name, I always want to say Alyssa Slotkin, but it's not Alyssa Slotkin. Elise Stefanik. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, the E and the S, it always messes me up. But, um, you know, she, her, I don't know if she was the first to say it, but lots of people end up saying it's like, if they can do it to a former president, they oh, can yeah. do it to you. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like, lawfully execute a search warrant on your property? Yeah, that's been going on since the FBI has existed. So, uh right right and the the it 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 was so annoying in those two days too because it's like i get why like obviously you're gonna talk about this like how why wouldn't you we knew nothing at that point other than this is a thing that they did we did not know like why they did it we did not know what they were looking for right this was all happening basically without our knowledge of anything and uh you got the speculation well trump is definitely going to jail ranging from rule trump will definitely be elected president in 2024 right and um you know i all all of the uh, i'm trying to remember who who said it but it was like we need to stop the it's like uh, the fbi has become a partisan tool i think it was kevin mccarthy actually uh the republican leader in the house who said like the FBI has, has reached an intolerable state of weaponized politicization. Uh, and, you know, that completely ignores the fact that, first of all, your, your, your standard you have to meet to get a search warrant is pretty high. And second of all, <laughs> like, the judge approved it. Like, there is, there is a whole other, you know, it's not like the FBI can just go in the house and do whatever they want. Um, but, yeah, this, this magistrate judge ended up approving the warrant uh right i don't know (laughs) well and the thing is too um they were making all these statements and i think believe it was maggie haberman of the new york times reported you know there are certain people in the republican party telling people hey maybe like calm down a little bit until we actually know what happened and then garland comes out he makes well, he says he's going to make a statement at, like, 2.30. He doesn't show up till 3, which was annoying. Um, and he essentially says, I approved this search. Um, I have said the FBI and the Department of Justice will speak through our, like, legal actions, not through press conferences. Mm. We moved to have the search warrant unsealed. And it was it unsealed the, uh, not neither of us are lawyers yet, um, <laughs> But uh, basically, he moved to unseal the search warrant and, like, the attachments. And the, ser- yeah. the search warrant kind of gave what, basically, what statutes they were investigating a violation of. And then also a list of things that they had seized. Right. And, I mean, you mentioned that some in the GOP were a little more quiet. Like, G- the GOP's Senate leadership was very quiet initially and then i think mitch mcconnell kind of came out and gave like a a a non-answer yeah it was like oh well that could be bad or something to that effect um 
And yeah, I don't know. I feel like they got real quiet, actually, most of the Republican Party after uh, the release of the warrant and kind of what they seized. Yeah, which, so, essentially, the Trump and his lawyers had 24 hours to respond to the FBI's request to unseal the warrant. Because they could have objected to it and then the magistrate judge could have said too bad or it could have been litigated blah 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 blah. they mm-hmm. didn't object to it trump i say tweeted out but it was on i believe it was truth social so he truthed out or whatever <laughs> um saying that no release it all and what, what essentially came out was that he was being investigated um i don't have this in front of me so i shouldn't just talk but one of the things he may have violated was the espionage act right um that, is, that does not mean he was spying on us for the Russians or anything like that, but it does mean he may have mishandled uh, secret, not even, not other things, not even classified information, just information that's like vital to the na- national defense. Um, so, yeah, and like that, I believe it was the morning after uh, the warrant was released, which, by the way, was leaked first, presumably by Trump's lawyers to Breitbart with the names of the FBI agents who are there, not unredacted. Huh. Um, essentially, uh, but the uh, members of the House Freedom Caucus were going regarding the raid the morning after that. And then it came out and they said, actually, you know what, never mind, we're good. <laughs> um, although a Republican House leadership still did, did hold a press conference, but the, but the Freedom Caucus did not. Interesting. Yes. I... I don't know. So how do you how do you feel about how the White House and, you know, the federal, the actual executive branch handled this just in general, the FBI, DOJ, Biden? I, I mean, I think they've handled it well, right? You know, it's it's one of those things where I think the only way they um, win in the court of public opinion at this point is actually to do as little as possible. Um, because you want to basically make it look like you're not doing this for partisan reasons, that there was there were actual laws broken and, and actual justice that has to be served. And I don't think if Joe Biden is just like, yeah, we're investigating Donald Trump because he may have done this, like, I think that looks pretty bad. Um, and, you know, again, like, I'm not a lawyer, but I read lots of their tweets. I read lots of lawyers' <laughs> tweets. My The impression I got as far as, like, moving to unseal the document was that that was actually a pretty canny move because... Basically, what you had is, like, in the day or two after the raid, before the FBI moved to unseal the document, you had Trump's lawyers on TV saying all kinds of things, ranging from, uh, I wasn't there, they didn't give me the warrant, um, which was not true. Um, And then also, uh, well, the FBI may have, who knows what they found, but they, they may have planted stuff there, we don't know. And essentially, the FBI was like, well, uh... You want people to see the warrant? Fine. We'll show you the warrant. And then they put the ball in their court. And I feel like what happens is it's like, if you're Trump's lawyers, you're like, well, um, we can either oppose this, and then we, even though we've spent the past two days saying, please release the warrant, or we cannot oppose this and something damaging might come out. Now, the things that were listed on the search warrant were so vague that it didn't really give a good idea as far as, you know, it it was like, oh, it was like box A, box B, things like that. Um, and it did say that they, they did seize documents that were labeled classified, top secret, all that stuff. On, on the um, receipt, not on the warrant, right? Yes, yes, yeah. that's what I meant. Um, but it wasn't like, oh, you know, 
document about placement of nuclear missiles in xyz base and things like that right most of them were unspecified except for the pardon of roger stone yes <laughs> which very clearly uh, laid out there roger stone i believe has not been pardoned right like that was just like a like a uh, there was no roger stone pardon i don't think i think that was just a thing he had i i never mind no no, no. he did, he he did no he did pardon okay, okay. yeah um very, very. I mean, he could have been a pardon for something else. Like maybe right, Roger yeah. Stone did something else. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like the White House probably had nothing to do with this, nor should they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they've handled it pretty well. But I, I'm pretty sure they they have not said anything. And yeah. I, I know Biden's on vacation. Uh, I think in South Carolina. Actually, yes, so. I, in 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 the same town that my uncle used to have a vacation home. Oh, it's too bad he doesn't still vacation there. Um, And yeah, Biden should say nothing. Uh, But yes, I I think the DOJ, you know, a lot of people put it as like they they called Trump's bluff. As Trump didn't think Garland would, you know, kind of push him to be like, well, you're the only one, like, you have to give us permission to put out the warrant, right? Mm Because we're the government and, you know, you have rights, which is just like a good look. For the Justice Department? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. What, 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 what happens now? I've been, I've been kind of... You know, there's been all of these Trump claims that he... Anything that was, you know, at his office in Mar-a-Lago was declassified just by default, which there's no documentation for that. <laughs> Yeah, and there's like this big constitutional issue because like, what if the president, like the president, probably can say that, but if you mm-hmm. have no documentation for that, and right. hold on to all this stuff, and uh, John Bolton, his former NSA director or NSA advi- national security advisor, mm-hmm. his former NSA, said that yeah, this this I I never heard that because right. the the story is that Trump just had a standing order to declassify everything that he never wrote down, yes. <laughs> he never appeared to tell anyone. And I was somebody. Somebody on Twitter was like, "There will now be like a someone will have to argue in front of the Supreme Court that if a president thinks about declassifying <laughs> things but doesn't express it, it's still declassified." Uh, I mean, that's you know unitary executive theory, right? You could get sure. into some interesting places there. Um, but I have been obsessed with a lot of the thoughts by the national security apparatus just around Trump, which has been very negative uh, mm-hmm. about this, right? And there's a Washington Post piece uh that if i'll quote directly from government officials had worried as trump left office that he presented what experts considered the perfect profile of a security risk he was a disgruntled former employee with access to sensitive government secrets dead set on tearing down what he believed was a deep state out to get him like yeah (laughs) yes that's it's just very that's just very well put and very well explained Mm -hmm. uh and, you know, all of these people around have been like, yeah, it was, like, terrifying that he'd leave these documents in Florida. Sometimes he'd just, like, hold on to them. You never knew. Sometimes he, like, accidentally had them on a table when other people were there. Um, I mean, it's just the most... It's just, like, the most Trump crime. It's, like... It may... It may have been, like, mostly an accident. Like, do you remember that thing where, like, he had... I don't even remember if it was Russians, like, in the White House, and he was just, like, showing them stuff? 
Well, that that and that's one thing, like a theory that's floating out there is that like he may have just been like showing this stuff off, right? Right. right. Um, but you know they were, and there was a, when he was president, there was a skiff built in Mar-a-Lago, apparently. Hmm. Um, but I, I assume it's not there now. Um, and also a few weeks ago, the uh, the live golf tournament was at um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Bedminster in New Jersey. Uh, live golf tournament, of course, owned by the Saudi government. Yeah. Um, again, like that proves absolutely nothing. Um, but it's it's just like a weird. It's just, it, it just kind of illustrates why you don't want your classified documents at golf clubs. Basically, um, <laughs> I think is what it is. Um, yeah, and now there's been, um, you know, I, I it, there have been kind of calls. I think primarily by the media basically filing like i don't know if they're like actually foia requests but Mm. there's some kind of request asking the justice department to unseal the affidavit which is what a fbi agent would have had to write and present to the magistrate judge right to justify the search warrant and it was it would you know that would more explicitly lay out you know who told them these documents were there um you know what like what what do they expect to find there uh you know what what who do they expect to charge things like that and the fbi has said no because that would affect our investigation basically right i don't i don't i don't know how i feel about it i feel like the fbi should be as transparent as possible i agree i but i i also like you know this this is an interesting fact finding for them right is is garland kind of like tinks it over into trump's court to see what Mm -hmm. he'll do yeah, uh, and like he realized that Trump will just spew misinformation, and so that the DOJ needed to get ahead of it after he did that. And I don't know, like, uh, do they really expect that to change? Yeah, no, probably not. But but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if they even care. And on some level, um, I, I don't know. So I'm sure we'll find out more this week and in the months ahead. Do you? <laughs> Do you think this changes anything for Trump, for the Republican Party, uh, for Trump's political ambitions? Well, so I, there's obviously like a galaxy brain take out there, right? Which is that the Democrats are doing this because they'd rather run against Trump than run against DeSantis in 2024. Um, Which assumes Merrick Garland is part of the Democratic apparatus. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, if you want to say Merrick Garland like has it out for Trump because he kind of, he more or less denied him a seat on the Supreme Court, like eh, maybe there's motive there. Um, <laughs> I think my big takeaway. So a couple things. One, if this changes the so I, I feel like there is this sense. I'm going to start off the midterms and then move on to 2024. I think there was this sense that momentum was moving the Democrats' favor in the midterms, right? Mm. Um, you had the anti-abortion amendment losing in a referendum in Kansas, right? Hardly a Democratic stronghold. Um, you had overperformance by Democratic candidates in a Nebraska congressional special election, in a Minnesota congressional special election. Um, you had a pretty good Democratic showing in the Washington top two primaries, mm. right? Thing, and, and then you also had movement in the generic ballot, which I know I kind of put down in our last episode. But you had movement in the generic ballot, you had some movement in polls as well. Um, the idea that primarily the Dobbs decision um, was moving things in the de- Democratic direction. 
and then this came out kind of overshadowed all of that overshadowed Biden's successes which we'll talk about at the end, towards the end of this episode the second half really um, then that maybe this gets Trump back out there that it somehow galvanizes his base and motivates Republicans to vote for for the party and for him I don't entirely buy that I think if, if the if, if this becomes like a midterm about Donald Trump I think that can only help Democrats right yes. They've because, been trying to make it that way for like a year and failing. Exactly, right? And if you get Republicans out there and saying, you know who I trust? Donald Trump. You know who I don't trust? The FBI. Yeah. Like, I think the moderate <laughs> suburban voter who you're courting is going to be like, yeah, you know who I don't trust? You. And then vote for the Democrat instead, right? Like, I don't see... Do I see a world where there's somebody who was like, maybe became apathetic about Trump and then was like, you know what, I wasn't going to vote for him again, but now that they're coming after him, I'm going to do it just to say something. Could I envision that person? Sure. Do I think there is a person who uh, voted for Biden, sees this happen and goes, you know what, <laughs> I voted for Biden, but this this changes everything? I Look, there are maybe millions someone. of people. There are 300 million people in America. Yeah, maybe a couple of those people exist. Do I think it's statistically significant? No. I guess my, my point is, is that can Donald Trump still be elected president in 2024? As things now stand, yes. Heck, even if he goes to jail, there is still no constitutional thing that says he cannot run for president, right? There's no, there, there's there was no actually, rule. That they, <laughs> there, there, there really is not. Yes. Um, and then he would probably try to pardon himself and it would cause a whole big constitutional crisis. Um can he win despite this? Yes. Do I think he will win because of this? No, I think that's actually kind of silly. We, we've kind of reached this point. So Bill Simmons, the sports writer, had this saying called the Mike Tyson zone, which was basically like Mike Tyson, the former boxer, um, retired boxer. He, he had, you know, very controversial, lots of legal troubles, lots of outrageous stories about him. And the Mike Tyson zone was basically like, there are certain public figures where they reach a point where you'll believe any story anybody has about them because they're just kind of that ridiculous. Mm. I feel like Donald Trump has been in the Mike Tyson zone for most of his life, but that's also kind of led us to a space where it's like, we just assume everything that happens around him, like excluding like him, essentially him dying or going to jail is going to increase his electoral prospects, right? That he is this kind of just like tripwire that if Democrats like, flick at even once everything's gonna blow up um i just don't buy that honestly and on and like if your argument is like well it makes him now the most likely nominee he was the most likely nominee anyway um so anyway that that's that's my somewhat I, rant on that i do not see i i think anyone who who is who is prognosticating or or putting forward oh my god they handed trump the nomination what are you know I can't believe this. I'm so mad at them. Uh, I think they are a cheap pundit. <laughs> yes. I, I think it is actually very cheap punditry because, really? <laughs> Having the FBI raid this guy's house makes him the shoe-in for the nomination and then the presidency? Uh, I, I, I don't see a lot of ways this helps Trump's political ambition. And yes, I agree with you. I don't think it helps. This is a bad look. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I think Trump cleverly tried to make it uh, to, like, flip the script. But I think the longer this story goes on, there, there are still Democrats who incorrectly believe 
that Trump was in some vast conspiracy with the Russians, right? Yeah. It was a very, it was a story, and then there was this giant investigation. It went on for years. And you ask probably your average Democrat now, and they probably think that. It has not actually been proven. Imagine if a former president has his house raided, and he's got, like, a pending court case against him for, you know, something called the Espionage Act. I don't know. I don't know how people are like, oh, yeah, this helps Trump. Mm-mm. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of your average voter here because you've got, you know, all these solidly Democratic voters. Well, you aren't going to get them anyway. And then there's mm-hmm. these average voters who just seem to be apathetic in general. But they're like, huh, that sounds pretty bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's my read. So that's yeah. the raid on well, the raid, the, the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. But we will take a quick commercial break. If you're a fan of the Postwriters articles, podcasts, and projects, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. So once a week digests of everything we've worked on, what the site is up to, and other things we'd recommend each Monday. We don't believe in subjecting you to daily annoying emails, but we do believe in keeping our most passionate and loyal supporters in the loop on what we've been up to. We know how inconvenient and annoying it is to have your inbox flooded with constant reminders and useless material. That's why we run a curated weekly newsletter that gives you a once a week scoop. New subscribers help us know how many people are reading and listening to our work and want to hear more from us. So go to thepostwriter.com newsletter to sign up now. And we're back. So. Let's get to the other main topic of the last couple weeks, the stunning turnaround in Biden and Democrats' legislative agenda. There are, you know, four or five major bills that capture this kind of change of fortunes, and I'd argue that it probably starts in mid-May with the Ukraine Lend-Lease Act. Then we get the bipartisan gun control bill in late June, then the burn pits legislation and Chips Plus in August, and then the resurrected, but don't call it Build Back Better, it's now the Inflation Reduction Act because Democrats have finally learned marketing. Uh, this past week. So I guess let's start by just kind of discussing the process and importance of each of these major five pieces and how they build towards a larger story of a resurrected legislative and potentially political agenda. So I think the the least covered one of these, but I I don't know, I I wanted to include it because it feels like the turning point for me, is the Ukraine Democracy Defense Lend-Lease Act, which uh, was signed in May. And that facilitated the transfer of military equipment and et cetera to Ukraine because of, well, you know. It, it just feels, it feels like the start of this bipartisan oomph that you see kind of carry through the rest of the summer. I don't know. Yeah, it was, there, there was kind of a, a doldrum, like a legislative doldrums in a way. Yeah. Um, and it seemed like nobody could really get anything done. Um, you know, the 50-50 Congress didn't really help that. But yeah, I would agree. And like, you know, I think too, we're obviously in a very polarized political moment, but Ukraine, even though there are some sort of, you know, dissenters within primarily the Republican Party and some people on like the very, very, very far left, um, I I think that like Ukraine's a thing that like 99.9% of Americans agree on. And uh, indeed, the bill was passed unanimously in the Senate. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's right. just very low-hanging fruit. But I feel yeah. like you need to start building some momentum if you're the Democrats mm-hmm. and the, the White House right? at that point. And it, that's why I wanted to start kind of with that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a good bill, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, it's like, you know, I, there are some... 
again, like, I, I hate to talk about everything through the lens of Twitter, but it's like, you know, you will see some people on, like, conservative Twitter be like, oh, we spent uh, $40 million on Ukraine and there's all this problem, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, yeah, also, like, again, like, 90% of Republicans, I think, voted for this for this bill, right? Right. Um, I, I think, and, and, you know, and and Democrats, again, like, I, I don't think Ukraine's going to be a big issue in the midterms necessarily, but it's like, you can say, hey, have the Russians taken over Ukraine yet? No, they haven't, actually. Um, yeah. And I, so, I, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it's a good thing politically and it's a good thing just materially, too, right? I think it's a thing that, you know, I don't, not, not, not a lot of people out there like Putin, so I think. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Um, yeah. And, you know, did, did this bill, um, I mean, I, I think even before this bill, we were we were sending money. I think the point of this was just to make the process easier uh and i mean we've sent like six what six billion dollars total to ukraine since yeah. last december or last fall mm-hmm. um i don't know it's it's an easy win it was an easy marketing and it made like everyone kind of feel good except for those 10 republicans that voted against it in the house so that gets us to june when we have the bipartisan safer communities act and this was Democrats are, of course, calling it major gun control legislation. I think it's probably more apt to call it minor gun control legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what this one does, and this was a bipartisan bill, um, it was actually inter- uh, uh, kind of negotiated with uh, Texas Senator John Cornyn, uh, who's a Republican. Um, and it expands mental health services, especially in schools. It expands background checks for gun purchases on those under the age of 21. Uh, it allows states to use funds to implement red flag laws, but there's it, the wording there is all kind of unclear because you have kind of a constitutional issue. And I think Republicans tried to nacho win that I'm pretty sure they actually did get. That's like you have to have like a due process thing, which, you know, mm-hmm. that is actually fair. Um, it also makes it a federal crime to traffic firearms. I don't know. I guess that wasn't a crime before. Uh, and it closes what what's called the boyfriend loophole, which allowed for those uh, b- basically in federal gun policy. Uh, if you were married to someone or if you were in uh, if, like a cohabitative relationship with them and you had been convicted for domestic violence, you could not get a gun. But of course, that excuses anyone who is like a boyfriend and just spends some time there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was closed. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I sound. I would call it a minor piece of legislation, but it is a big deal because you haven't had something like this in a long time. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is obviously. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's probably a step in the right direction. I would say, obviously, it's not going to solve all of our gun violence ills. Um, but I think you, you know, it, it's progress. And there's not been a whole lot of progress on this issue in a long time. And I think to, like, not do anything in the wake of the Uvalde shooting, I think would reflect poorly on basically everybody, right? Um, and, and like, credit to John Cornyn. Like, he spoke at, and I don't know if it was an NRA event or just, like, a Texas Republican Party event. And he got, like, booed for supporting this bill. Yeah. Um, and so you, there, there are some Republicans who took a bit of a political hit on this, but, you know, credit to them, you know, and obviously they, they had their little amendments to it, but they 
uh, voted their conscience and, and decided to, to do something. Yes, I, I believe it got 15 Republican votes in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's your, your, your usual... It's probably the 15 you'd assume. Um, yeah. But like Mitch McConnell threw his support behind the, the bill, and so did um, their minority whip, John Thune. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I guess I was just... It, it definitely felt, for, for one reason, I think it... You know, obviously because of the two big shootings back-to-back uh, earlier that month, or, or in May, sorry. Um, it just... I guess I'm surprised. I really didn't think this would get through, you know? No, I, I, I'm surprised <laughs> too, because like I said, there hasn't been progress on this for a long time. I mean, it is like truly bipartisan, I, I would say. Right? Yeah, and yeah, um, not everyone got what they wanted, but that's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the system sort of worked. <laughs> it Even did. with the filibuster, it's like Democrats yeah. and Republicans actually compromised. And Yeah, I, I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I think it's a thing a lot of people didn't expect to see, and definitely... Um, kind of kind of i don't want to say shocking but but a little surprising um yeah yeah um so so that was that bill then in august we get the uh the pact act which is the uh honoring our pact (laughs) act of 2022 And, and that bill uh it basically improves healthcare services and access for veterans who are exposed to toxic substances like burn pits during their military service it's a thing uh, John Stewart is a very big advocate for and has been for years. Um, is this a big piece of legislation? I don't know. Uh, well, the the big new the reason why this was kind of newsworthy is because of what happened before it was passed, right? Which is um, this right after it was announced that Manchin and Schumer had come to a deal on the. Uh, it, what was once called Build Back Better, which is now Inflation Reduction Act, which we'll talk about later. Uh-huh. Um, th- lots of Republicans who had said they supported the bill ended up voting down the bill. Um, it isn't quite as simple as them just kind of... There, there was a, I believe there was an amendment they, they opposed, right? It wasn't just like them the, retaliating against... Management. They wanted to vote on the Toomey Amendment. Yeah, so, so our last three bills all kind of actually need to be talked about together because the, mm-hmm. the intricacies here matter so so our last three of the pack deck we just talked about the chips plus which is our china competitiveness bill uh which you know semiconductors research had put billions of dollars into those uh and that was also a bipartisan yes. bill largely <laughs> both in its support and opposition bernie yeah, yeah. against it <laughs> yes um and then there so basically i believe how this went down is you know schumer finally gets an arrangement with the republicans to put up the chips bill they pass that in the Senate. It gets kicked over to the House. Manchin and Schumer then immediately come out with their Inflation Reduction Act plan because the Republicans had been saying for the past couple of weeks, it's like, we're not going to move on the China bill that we all support unless mm-hmm. Democrats don't do any uh, Build Back Better bill. Which, like, it was down and, like, that's a down and dirty, that's a Mitch McConnell move by Schumer. It is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then the Republicans throw the little mini fit during the PACT Act, but that ends up being, like, not a good look for them. <laughs> no. no. Um, yeah, and they, they try, like, I mean, yeah, like you said, they, they sort of try to throw the fit. It's like, oh, no, we were voting against it because we wanted to vote on the Toomey Amendment. Uh, 
I don't know. I it just it didn't read that. It didn't play well. Yeah, well, it's the thing too. It's like they might be technically correct, but at the same time, it's like now every like uh, Democratic campaign campaign manager in the country right. who's like running against who's like their their managing campaign running against an incumbent set like against. I, I, sorry, I'm stumbling over my words, but it's like, you now get to cut the ad saying the Republicans voted against health care for our veterans, right? Right. <laughs> it, it sort of reminds me, actually, of... Do you remember the the infamous Kirsten Cinema thumbs down on the minimum yes. wage? It yeah. is, uh, it is <laughs> slightly worse marketing than that. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, she wasn't actually voting down the minimum wage, something... She very much actually has supported historically. Uh, she said it. She did not feel that it should be in that particular piece of legislation because it would not meet a certain qualification. Mm-hmm. Or it was it was like a technical thing, but it was you know you don't go in there and brazenly vote it down like that. You just kind of like whisper as a bunch of other Democrats do, like, "No, I'm I'm going to vote against this because of here's yeah. why." Mm-hmm. Um, and but then Schumer, you know, he he kind of calls the Republicans bluff with the PAC Act. He's like, okay, I'm going to put it up again with the Toomey Amendment. We're going to vote on this all again, uh, right away, uh, or you know, a couple days later. Um, and then that one passes. And then so we get, we get the ch- I don't know thoughts on the China Competitive Bis- Bill PAC Act, and then we get into the the IRA. Yeah, I mean, again, this is another. I think it's kind of a. It's kind of a win-win for both parties, really. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, there have been supply chain issues with chips, uh, semiconductors, things like that. Things I'm, I'm not smart enough to fully understand. Um, but, you know, I think it it probably makes sense to basically have uh, those things not come from places like China and, in some cases, Taiwan, just because those have become, like, kind of tenuous situations recently. Mm. Um and, you know, again, like, both party gets to say they voted for t- to protect American industry, right? Um, and, and try to alleviate kind of the, the, the quirky economic problems we've been going through recently. Um, you know, Todd Young, who's up for re-election in Indiana, was going to win anyway, but, like, he was a big Republican booster of the bill. I, I wrote his Senate projection, which is why it's top of mind for me. But, um, yeah, I, this again, this seems like a... Um, it's... It seems like a fairly common sense piece of legislation, I guess. Um, which brings us to the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, which at the time we've recorded this, uh, the president has not signed it. Uh, but it is basically a redo and a scaling down of the original Build Back Better plan. It raises revenue uh, from prescription drug price reductions, better IRS enforcement, uh, an excise on stock buybacks, and a corporate minimum tax for companies of a certain size. Then it spends about $370 billion on climate change, energy, uh, $306 billion on deficit reduction, $60 billion on expanding the Affordable Care Act subsidies, uh, and then $5 billion for drought relief, which I believe uh, Catherine Cortez Masto like got in there somehow Mm. uh, and increasing funding uh, for the IRS for enforcement, which is both, (laughs) I guess that's such an interesting like budget thing is like you put that in there and it both raises revenue and costs money. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. Like I get that you're, you're paying them more money so they can hire more people so that they can then go get more people Mm -hmm. for bus for improperly doing their taxes. I don't know. Um, 
you know, this was kind of a big deal, but then then Mar-a-Lago got raided, and so it kind of got overshadowed. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They did it. They they built back better. Just don't call it that, right? Yeah. Instead, they uh, reduced inflation, except it probably might not <laughs> um basically the, the the like one big study on it was like yeah this will like actually probably not have an effect on well, uh inflation but you know i i would consider raising taxes like a deflationary move right um you're the economist so you would know better but um yes and there's been a lot of like process pieces about larry summers who's a f- former treasury secretary mm-hmm. and you know a a democratic economist but has been kind of a critic of the biden administration's economic policies um you know larry summers is also like a harvard educated guy and you know a professor and all of that i hate to say like i kind of disagree with most of his thoughts on a lot of this um but he he, there was like a big uh, like getting him and joe manchin like on the phone Mm -hmm. to like so that he could comfort joe manchin and say this is this is going to have this is going to either it's not going to hurt yeah to your point right is it, maybe this doesn't you know maybe the inflation rate drops by 0.1 i think it's pretty hard to stop inflation with fiscal policy it's just not mm-hmm. really how it works um but joe mansion was at least convinced that it wasn't going to hurt anything yeah La- larry summers is a guy who like looks under his bed every night to make sure inflation isn't under there like he very much a hawk yeah he's uh, so if he thinks it's not gonna like cause inflation, then like you're probably in pretty good shape. Yeah, um, I like I like that metaphor though. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, and yes, and I should should clarify because it actually makes it a little more interesting. It was Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, and Arizona Senator Mark Kelly, who of course are all in the Colorado River Basin, and all running for re-election. Right. Uh, who got that uh, four to five billion in funding for? drought reduction yeah. uh, and drought relief um which is you know it's a pretty big carve out that that makes the list so that's mm-hmm. that's a good it's a good bill um so republicans not so happy about this though right they got tricked <laughs> chuck yep. schumer tricked them <laughs> um I don't, I, I don't know are we yeah I, are we happy do you wish it was more do you wish it was less I, um, like, I'll be honest, I, I don't really have a good idea of how much it should have been or anything like that. Um, you know, my feeling when, when, like, the Build Back Better talks kind of sputtered out earlier in Biden's term, my feeling was that they should have just taken, like, the most popular bits of it, like, the things they knew they'd be able to get bipartisan support for, mm-hmm. kind of slice it up yeah. and pass them as individual bills, which is, like, a very, like, goo-goo good government thing. Um, like, I realized that, but I, that also seemed like the only way this was ever going to happen Obviously, this is smaller than, uh, I believe, like, the initial bill that was proposed. But, again, it's one of those things. It's kind of how I feel with the, with the gun bill. It's like, you know, they're, they're doing something as opposed to nothing. I think it's actually, there, are a lot, there have been lots of environmental groups who are critical of prospects of aspects of this bill because um, there are, like, carbon capture uh, provisions in it, which is not very popular. There's, there's some coal stuff in it, too obviously joe manchin from west virginia so that's obviously very important to him um and yeah this is not going to save the world from global warming but it's going to do more than pretty much any legislation the u.s government has passed so far yeah um so 
you take your wins when you where you can get them on that the irs enforcement is very humorous to me that also that like that to me has been like the big thing that like conservatives have been hammering it's like ah they're giving more money to the irs they're coming for you now right and it's kind of like they they're not coming for most of you right yeah (laughs) but like the idea that like now if the irs and the fbi the republicans have become the defund the police party is kind of just like an interesting little uh reversal of fortune there yeah um so there's that uh again like deficit reduction that'll please a lot of people you know again acis of these a lot of stuff i support kirsten cinema uh, and her whole wanting to not get rid of the carry interest loophole. I don't understand that at all. Like, I don't I don't get what the deal is with that. Um, I think that was very silly. Um, but, hey, you, you take what you can get at this point. Oh, we'll talk about Kirsten Cinema <laughs> in, in a minute here. But so we, we've talked about those five bills. I'm going to pivot to something that uh, Matthew Iglesias, formerly of Vox, calls Secret Congress which I'm a, I'm a big believer in this kind of theory of governing. And that is basically Congress actually passes a lot of bills and a lot mm-hmm. of just routine stuff and they're boring and they just kind of slide in and giant appropriations bills. Um, and so, you know, they always say this Congress met a record for the lowest amount of bills ever passed because it only passed 100 bills. Yeah, but like 50 of those bills were like a thousand pages long or more right um so i don't know are there there any other legislative achievements that you feel like got kind of quietly passed in the last year that were undercover that you would have i don't know that you'd probably be marketing more if you are the democrats or bipartisan things you'd be marketing as a republican yeah i mean there, there was a like an upgrade uh or upgrades maybe not the right word for it there was yeah, I'm confusing my words now. There was the Drinking Water and Wastewater Infrastructure Act, which, you know, basically was meant to upgrade public water systems across the country. I'm reading directly from Iglesias right now. Um, you know, that especially in light of, like, the Flint water crisis, I think that's, like, a pretty um, important bill and something, you know, that that's, that's a pretty big deal. Um, but also, like, the Surface Transportation Reauthorization Act. Um, you know, big big infrastructure type thing that, you know, I think is like a bit, infrastructure. I think is like maybe just kind of boring. Cause, you know, roads, bridges, all gray concrete. But um, yeah, the, I, I, go ahead. Well, the so, so the Consolidated Appropriations Act for this year. That's where a lot of stuff often gets buried. Um, I, I believe this year it contained the Violence Against Women Act reauthorization. Which that was you know that's a big deal. Um, and like a big issue, a big thing with that one, because I think that was in February. I don't, I don't actually remember when they passed that, but is that they couldn't get the boyfriend loophole in that. They tried, right? Mm-hmm. And then they, of course, have now closed that. Um, it also contained a redefinition of what a tobacco product is in there, uh, so that it applies to uh, like jewels and vapes and whatnot. Yes, which is and I believe. Oh, I think it was actually in the Trump administration that the. the H to buy tobacco is raised to 21, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so th- there are a number of things in there. Um, I don't know. I feel like this story's kind of disappeared, but there was also, there were a couple bills about, like, baby formula and, like, suspending tariffs on importing infant formula. Um, uh, there was also a big postal reform bill uh, a little while ago. Um, oh, ooh. And 
there was the Capitol Police Emergency Assistance Act, which mm-hmm. gave the uh, U.S. Capitol Police chief the power to request the D.C. National Guard or federal law enforcement without prior approval from his superiors, which, you know... In light seems of recent like events. A, seems like a <laughs> sensible thing to include. I, I don't know. There's been other stuff in there. I think there's there was a commission set up to uh, create like a museum of Asian Pacific Americans, too. Oh, and the Emmett Till Anti Lynching Act. There's there's you know this Congress is doing stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's been some dedicated effort as well by some Democrats, uh, most notably Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin. To get Republicans on board for a, like, respect for marriage bill that protects gay marriage in federal law. Mm-hmm. Do you see anything like that? Any other bills that could get momentum and take off? Or are we full midterm season? Everyone's going home. Well, the, the one I'm looking at uh, most closely is the Electoral Count Reform Act. Uh, yeah. um, which would basically just, like, clarify how... You're supposed to count electoral votes. It would raise the threshold for an objection. So I believe right now it's just you only need one from each chamber to object. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. Yeah, um, which, again, this didn't happen necessarily in 2021 because there was this little thing you may have heard about <laughs> um, where people, where crazy people got into the Capitol and, and caused uh, havoc. Um, but basically the the idea was that, like, you know, the that count was going to go on for hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, yeah, it still went on for very long. It, was, it would have gone on for longer had there not been a riot. Um, so it, it it would again increase the threshold for that. Um, it would clarify that the vice president's role is merely a, uh, a ceremonial one. Um, it would have more like kind of guidelines on you know how power was transferred, kind of like between the election and the inauguration. Um, things like that and then there's also kind of like a follow-on to that that would help protect election workers from intimidation and violence um Mm. as of late july um there were nine republicans who supported the electoral college reform act or electoral count reform act excuse me um Hmm. which is you know one vote shy of what they would need to pass it um i do wonder if Manchin and Schumer shenanigans with the IRA, or excuse me, shenanigans with the IRA, I should really clarify, <laughs> yeah. with the Inflation Reduction Act, um, I do wonder if that maybe scuttles some Republican support for that bill. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And we, we should also point out, again, this is not a cure-all to election problems, right? There is still um, lots of nasty stuff that state legislatures could do, um, right. or at least try to do. Um and then hope they can get to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court says, yes, actually, it's okay for you to decide that this was fraudulent, absent any evidence, and declare your own winner, um, and things like that. Um, but it, it would ideally prevent what was, what people thought was going to happen on January 6th before the riot happened, which is this hours and hours and hours and hours and hours long, de- basically fruitless debate um, that was never going to lead anywhere. So politicians saving themselves from being bored, but not from the collapse of democracy. That's yeah, that's it's very poetic. That's nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't seen a lot. I, I I really think this Congress is is running for the running for the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have pretty low expectations for the rest mm-hmm. of the one hundred and seventeenth Congress. 
We will take one more commercial break, then we'll be back to talk about the implication. The Postwriter is primarily self-funded by its owners, and it costs hundreds of dollars per year to keep the site online. The money we raise and contribute ourselves allows us to pursue stories, projects, and interests that are important to us, while making them completely free to everyone online with minimal advertisements. We do, however, rely on contributions from readers, followers, and listeners like you to stay sustainable and go above and beyond. Every additional dollar we raise helps us do things like launch new podcasts, write more content, pursue larger projects, and engage more with current and future readers. If you're inclined to support us, you can go to thepostwriter.com donate to find out how to support the site and our projects financially. Thank you for your support and for contributing to the work we do. And we're back. So this is a pretty stunning comeback from Democrats and for some Republicans after the last year, considering their bare minimum margin in the Senate and very slim majority in the House. Um, I, get, I mean, I, we'll talk about it in a, in a minute here, but I, like, I got to give some credit to the House Democrats. They, that is a much more diverse caucus than the House, than the Senate Democrats. Mm-hmm. And they really kept it together. I really thought someone was going to throw a fit. I don't know. The, the way I see it, there are five major players in the majority we have to talk about. Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi. So Joe Manchin. Is Joe Manchin a team player? I, um, I have been vindicated. I have yes. been defending Joe Manchin for two years, and I feel so vindicated. Um, yeah, I think he's not, not a team player. I mean, like, again, I think we've, we've talked about this a lot. We've written about it a lot where it's like, but even if you were to scuttle the Build Back Better Act, like, completely, he's still, like, mostly a team player, right? Oh, yeah. He's still would have voted, like, 90% plus on Biden legislation and 100%, I think, on Biden appointees, right? Um, so, but, you know, I, I, think, I think he deserves credit for actually, you know, there's, there's a universe where he's just kind of, like, especially because BBB slash inflation reduction... Is it's climate change focused, and he's a senator from West Virginia, which is a coal-dependent economy. Like, there's a universe where he just kind of like, you know, yeses and nos the Democrats to death, and and nothing happens because he um, he's able to just kind of like put the kibosh on it. But you know, once they came up with the plan, like he was on TV like every day defending it. Yeah. Um, and he was doing his best to whip up votes for it. So, yeah, I, I think you know he's. You got to kind of, you know, you got to work on him a little bit. But I think it's definitely in the eyes of, I think in the eyes of many Democrats, he has vindicated himself. I I also think there's a world where he could just be like an ornery crank because he got really, really upset at, I think, Schumer in the White House, especially after he destroyed Build Back Better a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's kind of that big explosion where, like, I think the White House, like, called him a liar. <laughs> it's like, not yeah. good, not mm-hmm. good congressional relations. And there were rumors that he was, he threatened to become a Republican, right. which, again, emphasis on rumors. I don't know how true that actually was, but. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm feeling, and he kept it quiet. Like, he's got tons of friends on the other side of the aisle, but he and Chuck Schumer were there negotiating in secret so that Republicans didn't destroy the other bills and he didn't run until susan collins <laughs> i don't yeah. know um all right so let's talk about another person i feel very vindicated about uh my girlfriend kirsten cinema <laughs> i wish <laughs> i mean 
She was there. She did. She did her thing. She was there. Yeah, we- I, I think that. Um, so my my thing with Mansion and Cinema, it's like again, if you're a Democrat, you would much rather have Kirsten Cinema as as center from Arizona than Martha McSally, right? Right. But I I think the thing with Mansion is that you can look at Mansion and I feel like you view him as a little bit more of like a rational actor in the sense that like he's from a very conservative state that has very kind of specific needs and he's trying to cater to those voters right he's cinema, very transactional I think, yes cinema i think is a little bit more of a cipher because i don't know she just kind of uh like why like outside of campaign contributions apparently it's like why why is she so intent on not closing the carried interest loophole and things like that right so she she is kind of enigmatic in a way that I think people find more frustrating because they can't really figure out what she wants. Um, but again, you know, she she came through in the end, um, and it just goes to show you how important every Senate election really is, right? Because yes. if not just both of those people, if either one of Cinema or Mansion do not win election in twenty eighteen, uh, none of this gets passed. Yes, uh, very very true. Uh, so I guess let's talk about Joe Biden. Are we proud of him for doing absolutely <laughs> nothing? I, he, I know he didn't actually do nothing. He, mm-hmm. he, was, he was making some calls, and uh, he was strategically absent, is, is I think how I would put it. Exactly, yeah. I think you kind of contrast his, uh, <laughs> his style of leadership with Donald Trump's, and, you know, I think, you know... Like imagine Trump in like Joe Biden's position, where there's one Republican who is holding up his legislative agenda, oh, yeah. and just the way he would react, and the schism that could create with between him and Congress, between him and the party, and all of that. And Biden, to his credit, you know, again, he did kind of call Manchin a liar, um, but was good at kind of staying out of the way and let letting the legislature legislate. I guess right. Um, the, there's something very traditional legislative about this, right? Where it's like the president actually should not be there deciding on policy. The Congress should be working it out. And then the president will just make an up or down like, okay, this is fine. It's yeah. not going to ruin national security. And I think as far as like what this does for him going forward, I think in a way it, it kind of covers his left flank a little bit. I think especially the Inflation Reduction Act because it does have, um, you know, so many climate change uh, provisions in it again not as large as they wanted there are lots of environmental groups who are not exactly happy with the bill the thing with environmental groups is that you got to kind of ignore them sometimes <laughs> um just yeah, they're, because they're gonna vote for you anyway yeah and they're gonna also endorse the most i i i, I hesitate to use the word extreme but they're going they're going to endorse the most far-reaching version of whatever you're proposing and you know you, you gotta you gotta make sausage at the end of the day and um, sometimes that means you have to, to, this is a troubled metaphor, but basically <laughs> there are things you have to sacrifice in order to get anything done. Um, not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, to use a cliche. Yes. Uh, yeah. But, but, but so, sorry, to, to finish my point, it's like now that Biden gets to say, yes, I am responsible for this, which is like, you know, partly true. Um, you know, I, I think that quells certain people who are Democrats, but who are who, but for whom Biden was not their first choice, um, and who are probably to the left of him. I think it makes them be like, okay, like he's capable of managing this this party and, and our expectations. 
it, it it is a vindication of i mean you know i mean you see it in in uh his poll numbers right is that they've kind of pretty notably ticked up after declining for a year mm-hmm. um and you know then there was the dark brandon thing and everyone was like oh yeah joe biden's cool again <laughs> at least on twitter <laughs> right um it's a pretty stunning, the comeback kid, which for the record, I also predicted this one year ago when everyone was like, oh my God, Joe Biden's done. I was like, this is literally what happened to Obama. A year in, everyone was like, oh my God, he's like the worst president ever. He's not going to do anything. And then he passed healthcare reform. They were like, they were literally on TV. They were all calling him the comeback kid. God damn it. Why don't people listen to me? <laughs> uh, let's talk about Chuck Schumer. Uh, he, he let his inner McConnell out. Yay or nay? <laughs> we we that good? <laughs> oh, yay, absolutely. Yay. Okay. Who knew we had it in them? Democrats um, need to play a little dirty. Yeah. It's the thing I've said a lot. Yes. Um I, they did. And and I think you know what it also does though? It it, it tamps down again, this might just be a product of me spending too much time on Twitter. I don't think there are many people out in the streets yelling this, but it's like <laughs> it tamps down the get rid of the filibuster talk, right? Mm. Um which I have mixed feelings about. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you are months away from the possibility of there being a Republican majority in the Senate. And you don't also don't, you don't want to empower them right. with a filibusterless Congress. Um, and, and Schumer being able to, like, work in those constraints and get things done, I think, is a huge credit to him. Especially for a guy, you know, I mean, he's, you know, living in the shadow of Harry Reid, who I think was much more pugnacious. And, uh, you know, obviously had larger majorities to work with. But, um, yeah, I, I think he, you know, he, he comes off looking like a, you know, a sort of a little bit of a uh, absent-minded professor and is now, um, he's, he's also vindicated in a way, I think. He, yeah, I, I was reading this Washington Post piece by uh, Paul Kane, who's their congressional bureau chief, uh, and it was, it was comparing him to, like, Harry Reid or LBJ and, and Mitch McConnell. And it's like, if Mitch McConnell and Lyndon Johnson were like orchestra composers demanding precision, Schumer is more of like a jazz leader, where his whole group was like completely out of sync, but he can just like, his whole thing is just like he has his phone on him constantly, and he Mm -hmm. is always open, and he's calling everyone, and like, he's very relation-based, and he's like, we're going to get to yes, we're going to get to yes, whereas, yeah, Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell are like, I'll kill you, I will kill you. Uh... But, you know, it worked. And then Pelosi, our last one, I mean, you didn't hear one peep from the progressives in the House. And, I I mean, I guess I attribute that to the fact that they are sad and they knew that this is the best (laughs) they were going to get. But, you know, you you really, like, even Jared Golden, who's not a progressive, he's a a moderate Democrat who's Mm -hmm. probably going to lose re-election in a bit. You know, he... uh, he he wasn't griping too hard, right? Yeah, the there's a lot you mentioned before. It's a very diverse caucus. It's like you're balancing on the you know you you have kind of like the middle of the party. Then on the one hand you have, I guess they still call themselves blue dogs, but you basically have sort of the um, the moderates more or less who you know their big thing is they don't really want to raise taxes. They want to abolish the salt cap, um, or at least raise it. Mm. Um, my my New Jersey Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill is one of those people. Um, Josh Gottheimer, also from New Jersey, is kind of the face of that group. And then you have, on the left, you have, you know, the quote-unquote squad, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, Cori Bush, what have you, Rashid Tlaib. Um, 
who many of whom voted against the infrastructure package because mm. they wanted it paired with Build Back Better to guarantee that Build Back Better would be passed. Um, and they were, you know, they kind of were playing a game of I told you so for a little bit. And now they're not really anymore. And I, I think Nancy Pelosi, I think, is not a very good uh, TV politician. I don't think she is very good. Um, I don't think she has very good instincts when it comes to public relations. I think she is an incredible legislator and like manager of of a house, though. <laughs> of of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have any like major players in the minority you'd shout out? Like John Cornyn comes to mind because I, I yeah. think the gun thing would not be there were it not for Kirsten Cinema. Uh, and I meant to say that when we were talking about her, is cinema was a driving force, but she is the one who went to Cornyn and was like, "We got to do something." Yeah. Um, I mean, Todd Young on the on the Chips Plus. Yeah, I, I mentioned. Um, the, but that that's kind of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird. You didn't hear a lot from like the Susan Collins or the Murkowskis or Ron, the people you'd expect to be on the forefront of something like this. Yeah. Um, you know, John Cornyn is not a moderate Republican. I don't know. So, I mean, you got a concluding thought. Does this save the Democratic Party in the midterms? Does it save the Biden presidency? Any big implications you're willing to <laughs> guess Well, at? I, you know, I, I mentioned before that it, it does cover, certainly the Inflation Reduction Act covers Biden's left flank a little bit. It, give, it gives the Democrats something to run on, right? Yeah. Um, you can point to actual proactive things they've done, which I think is obviously very helpful outside just being like, we're not... We're not Republicans, and also we did an infrastructure bill that the effects won't be felt of for, like, 10 years. Um, <laughs> and, you know, obviously you mentioned, like, his poll numbers have ticked up a little bit. Um, Democrat large poll numbers have ticked up a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it evens the playing field a little bit. It's still August. You know, we're not really going to have a good picture of how the races are going to turn out until probably, like, September or October. Um, but... You know, passing legislation and legislation that's broadly popular can only be a good thing if you're the party in power. Even though evidence indicates that the more bills you pass to your side, the better the opposition does in the following midterm. But whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, but I kind of agree. I, it, it cannot hurt. I'm glad everyone has stopped assuming that the, what was then a one-year-old Biden presidency was already limping towards death. Right. Uh, it's just I, like, come on, people. Can you just? Well, we know what we're talking about. We've been following this for years. <laughs> like, I'm not crazy. The the one thing I'll point out though is what you said about sort of like showing that if you pass more legislation that's popular in your party, you tend to lose seats. Um, and you mentioned uh, Matt Iglesias, and he's talked about this a lot. And I think he's somewhat mistaken a little bit, but like his point is that like there has not been like. The way there was, like, a mass mobilization against Obamacare, there has not been a mass mobilization against any of this legislation, right? Mm, I, think th I, I think that's manifested in different ways, specifically at the local level, with things like uh, the critical race theory panic, um, with essentially the, the gay and trans rights panics that are going on, mm. right? Um, I, I think that's kind of how opposition to this administration has manifested. Um, I think partly just because these bills are a big deal, but they're not quite as splashy. Um, so how, how are like, you going to attack something called the Inflation Reduction Act? Exactly right. <laughs> so, but but like, yeah, I think it's noticeable that it's like it's hard to argue too too much with a lot of this legislation. Yeah. 
Uh, big weeks. Big weeks for the country. Are you ready for your very unrelated in your lifetime, Mike? Yes. <laughs> so we're in our lifetime for this week. Only 13 presidents have served as a United States general, though none have since Eisenhower, and therefore none in our lifetime. I think you can guess where I'm going with this, but in our <laughs> lifetime, will a general become president? I think I got to go with no. I think I have to say no as well. Um, there's a reason we haven't had one since I <laughs> It's because we haven't had a world war. Um, I, but we have had some big wars, and like Colin Powell could have been president at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, I think... I actually think it's because America has changed to the point where we don't actually want military leaders in charge. Yeah, I mean, the Department of Defense, which is you know supposed to have civilian leadership, has actually had more military leadership recently. Look at James Mattis and Lloyd Austin. Both had to get waivers. I don't know if Mattis did, but Austin certainly had to get a waiver um, so that he could serve as Secretary of Defense because right. there's supposed to be a cool-down period. Um, after you retire as general. So that you don't bring your rage into the defense department. <laughs> cool. Whatever period. Cool down's not the right word. But um, but yeah, I, and I just think cultures, our cultures is organized in such a way that I think in a way like wars have become more complicated, which also means that it's harder to sort of like identify a celebrity general, right? It's yeah. like Ulysses S. Grant is like almost, it's not only not literally, but he is like, on the battlefield with his troops overseeing what's going on. Um, Dwight D. Eisenhower is landing on Normandy with folks. Like, nobody could name the person who, you know, uh, led, like, uh, helped lead the invasion of Iraq, which I think was probably James Mattis. But, (laughs) um, yeah, generals just aren't celebrities anymore, right? You gotta remember Eisenhower was both democrats and republicans wanted them to run for their party nobody knew what party he was actually a member of um what about storm and norman schwarzkopf well that's true like that's true. Dead. I, I i actually think you have a good point though uh what generals do you know that want to run for office i literally cannot think of anyone yeah the last i can think of was was, was wesley clark um, oh yeah yeah and it's not going to be David Petraeus because he's right. one of the only generals I can name. And uh, yeah, yeah, um, I, I don't know. No general presidents. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But we will end with that. Thank you for listening, everyone. Be sure to reach out to us on Twitter. You can find and follow us at the Postwriter or email us at contactthepostwriter.com. Tell us what you think about these bills. What do they mean for the midterms? Tell us what you think about the FBI. What do they do? <laughs> uh, or suggest some other topics for us to unpack. We're a Postwriter podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com. You can check out stuff we work on, things we've written, our other podcasts, our Senate forecast, and more over there. And thank you, of course, to Mike for joining. No problem. <laughs>